Job, and uh, Job, real quick, and uh, I just want to uh, share a word with you today. Uh, the Lord's really been downloading. It's uh, some of it I've preached here uh, a bunch of times, but uh, this message is called the Power Five, and uh, I really believe this will um, this is going to help you in this new year. Uh, Jeannie was just mentioning about contending for with our faith, and in fact, it says earnestly contending. Um, and uh, it's interesting, uh, Sharon and I were talking this morning that prophetically, we're hearing more and more of the prophets are beginning to make that declaration about this is a year to be in faith, that there's going to be adversity that's going to try to come, and that what you and I have to do is that we have to, we have to be ready. If you've ever been on an airplane and uh, you've flown up into the, how many of you have flown at least one time, all right? And uh, usually they have to get through to a certain height, you know, thousands and thousands of feet up. And typically what happens is that when they do that, they have to fly through clouds to get, to get up above the clouds. They have to fly through those clouds. And you and I, we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't have this experience because, um, because we're not flying the airplane. But actually when they fly the airplane and they're in that front seat, they get to a point where they can no longer rely on what they see. They can't rely on their visibility. Uh, if they're in the clouds or they're in a storm, they cannot go by what they see because if they do go by what they see, the confusion will set in. Confusion will set in. I actually had a friend, uh, Davy Joe Hissom, who uh, had a pilot uh, that told him that he could handle flying in those clouds, but actually he couldn't at one point he flipped the plane over because he didn't know he was actually, whether he was up, up, upside down or right side up in the clouds, and they crashed and it killed all of them on the airplane. And uh, they call that in the, um, in the, in the uh, avionics, they call it being instrument rated, being instrument rated. And what that means is, is that you're following the instrumentation on the panel instead of looking out the window of what you see, because what you see is not really going to give you a good picture of what's really going on around you. Does everybody understand that? So they're going to look at, you know, the, 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 the plane to see if it's level, you know, what direction it's going, following all of that instrumentation that's on there. And you have to actually apply for a license to, I mean, you can fly an airplane on clear days, but to fly in clouds, fly in adverse weather, you have to, you have to actually be rated to be able to fly in with uh, according to the instruments, meaning you don't have to see what's outside the window. You just have to be able to look at uh, the instrument. Well, this is our instrument right here. And this is what tells us whether we're on course or not, whether we're doing okay. This year, you're going to be challenged in many ways to be to not look at what's going on out the window, but to look at the instrumentation. The more you look out the window, the more you'll be confused and of course, then you have pilot error, right? Pilot error is, is that you don't know where you're at, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know where you're going, uh, you're not sure about your directions. You do not want to be looking out the window this year to try to discern what should I do. You don't want to be looking at the circumstances that you're dealing with and uh, because what you're going to want to be is to be rated in that instrumentation to know what the Word says. So I'm going to share the Power 5 with you today. But I want to lay this out just kind of as a foundation at the beginning about out of the book of Job, because I think this is really powerful. Uh, this is in Job chapter 22, and I hope you'll take notes today. 
because I think this message is a life-changing message. Job chapter 22 and um, verse 27 says this, And you'll make your prayer to him, to God, and he will hear you, and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing, and it will be established for you, so your light will shine on your ways. Now the word declare, or decree, as it says in the King James, the word declare is an interesting word here, and it, in, the, in the Hebrew language, it's the word gazar, and it means to cut or to divide. He's saying, so you will, you will divide a thing. You will, make a, you will do something that makes a division, and it will be established for you. So when we talk about making a declaration, what we're doing is, we're cutting through the fog, basically. We're cutting through the difficulty. We're, we're making a declaration about something that does not exist that we believe should exist. All right? That's what Abraham did. He called those things that did not exist as though they did exist. He didn't deny there was a problem, but he was calling or dividing his life with something different. And it's really powerful if you look at, this word is actually used in the Old Testament where God split the Red Sea, that he divided it, he decreed it, and it split. How did God, with the breath of his word, he declared that that sea would part, and that sea parted, and they walked over on dry land. Another thought that came to me in my prayer time was about how that Abraham, when he was making his covenant with God, that he took the animals, remember, and he divided them, and put one on each side except the birds, and they put the birds on each side. And then what happened, the vultures tried to come and to take the sacrifice. Abraham kept the vultures away. But then it says that God walked in the midst of the division. He walked down the middle. He, he, he walked in the middle of what was declared. Let me tell you something. God will move in what you are declaring, what you're speaking over your life. What you say this coming year, what you're going to say at the beginning of this year, the declarations you're making over your life, over your finance, health, family, all these things are paramount right now because it is in that that you're giving God opportunity to walk. How many of you like God to walk in the midst of your family? Well, then stop making the wrong declarations over them and start making the right declarations over them. How would you like God to walk through your health, right through the center of your health and bring his presence, then stop making the wrong declarations over your health and start decreeing what God has said in his word over you. And look, I get it. There's all kinds of opportunities we have because of the things we hear, the things that are being said to us, uh, the communications that we deal with, that we can either respond to that and begin to speak those things out of our mouth which then they become, they become active in our lives, or we can declare what God has said. I'm not saying we become oblivious that there are problems or that, that we're fighting battles or that we're dealing with family issues. All of that is true, but it's not the truth. And there's a big difference between what is true and what is the truth. And the truth is what makes you free. What is true will bind you up. Will bind you up. So we have to become instrument rated that we are, we're able to see, we're able to fly through difficult situations and storms of life because we're not staring out the window trying to figure out where we're at, but we're following 
what the direction that's given to us through God's word, that what he's speaking to us is our instrument rating. The other thing is the Holy Spirit will speak to us as well. When we're putting the word into our lives, the Holy Spirit will begin to guide us through that word that's coming into our lives. You know, we need, you can't, the, the Bible tells us, and I, I, I think there's a, a little bit of a danger with this, that we could think, well, I just need the Holy Spirit. It is the word that opens up the door for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so what happens to be able to hear his voice, to know what is the Holy Spirit, what is true and what is, what is truth and what is false. And uh, in fact, if you look at in the book of, uh, of uh, Acts 6, it tells us that these men that were picked as deacons, and this would be true for women as too, too is they were full of faith, which means you can't get faith without the word. They were full of faith and full of the spirit. That's the dynamite. Amen? That's the dynamite. I mean, if, you have, if you're full of faith and you're full of the spirit, you're going to be a troublemaker to the devil in this world. You're going to be a troublemaker. So how do we get ourselves into that place? How do we get ourselves into that that place in our lives where we're we're declaring, making those declarations? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, I think we have that verse. Uh, Hebrews 4, 14, it says, Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, the word confession here in the Greek language is two words. It's homo, homo, H-O-M-O, logia, L-O-G-I-A. Homo, logia, and homo means same, and logia means word. So when we talk about confession, what we're doing is we are homo, logia, we are saying the same thing that God says. We're saying the same thing that God is saying. Okay? So we're speaking the word of God over our lives, which is not our words. We're not making this up. They are words that have already been declared and decreed by God. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Um, Look, to me, attending church is not an option. I need believers around me that are saying not what I'm saying, but saying what God is saying. That's why we don't forsake. The day is going to get worse, and you and I have got to be with believers who are saying what God is saying because it's going to be too easy to become contaminated out in the world with the information that's flying at us from family, friends, media, everything that's coming at us from every which direction. We need the house of God. We need God's people. And that's not just going to happen on the internet, watching some program on the internet, even though we'll always have that. That's, look, that's just in case you can't get here, but you should be with God's people because you need to be around people that are speaking the word of God and declaring that word One, it keeps you accountable in your life. And two, you know there's a standard. Amen. There's a standard. So, you know, in this church, if you're sick and you walk in here and go, man, I feel terrible today, I can tell you we got people in here that are like piranhas. They're going to be all over that sickness, praying, casting out whatever they got to do, believing God with you. Amen. And I think that's important. Praise the Lord. So, 
That's going to be so important. But he said, look, in this first part, he said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's contending at the door of faith because it's at that door where the opportunity is. The adversary is saying, no, you can't go forward. No, you're not going to make it. No, you're not going to have victory. No, no, no. And so what you and I have to do is we have to respond to that with the homologia. I'm saying what God says over this situation. And when people say, well, how do you feel? Just say, I feel like God didn't lie. Yeah, but I know you're dealing with this. Yeah, I'm dealing with it with the word. Amen. Hallelujah. So here's five things I want to give you. Some of you have been here with us for a long time. You've heard these messages before, but there's five things I think that you've got to, to keep key for yourself in your confession. One is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And when I talk about that Jesus is Lord, making that declaration, I'm referring to Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that says that God highly exalted Jesus, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess to the glory of God the Father. Uh, These are verses that you this year need to commit to memory. You need to commit them to memory. Because Jesus, making that declaration in yourself, is declaring the authority of God over your life. But I think there's just some, there's a lot more to this in that declaration of Jesus is Lord. What that means to me is, is that he is the one that I go to to be master over my life. I'm not master over my own life anymore. I'm not my, remember the old song, I'm not my own, I'm, I'm thine. I, I trust in you, Lord God. You're the one that leads me. You're the one that guides me. And making that declaration that Jesus is Lord means that we're making a decision in our life that we're going to spend more time in prayer, that we're going to spend more time in prayer, and we're going to spend more time in the presence of the Lord. You know, when we ask Jesus to become Lord of our lives, and that's what the Scripture tells us in the book of Romans in chapter 10, it says that we believe in our heart, and, and, and we believe in our heart, and then we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. What does that exactly mean? From this moment forward, I'm leaning on the Lord to guide my life. To do that, I'm going to need to spend time in prayer about decisions I'm making, investments I'm making, the future of where we're going, what's going on around me that I'm not aware of, Lord God, because you know there is stuff happening around you you're not aware of. Lord, guide me, lead me, protect me, show me the way. It's an and it's a and what happens, I think, a lot of times as Christians, we We think that somehow when I say, okay, Jesus, come into my life, that like we've plugged the spiritual hole in our lives. But it's not plugging the spiritual hole in our life. What we're doing is we're not plugging our life into Jesus. We're plugging, excuse me, we're not just plugging Jesus into a part of our life. We're plugging our life completely into Jesus and saying, Lord, you're the master. You're in charge now. You lead me and you guide me. Lord, I come to you. And And look, that's easy to say but it's hard to live. I mean, it's easy to say, oh no, Jesus is Lord over my life. So I'm going to ask you, well, how much time do you spend in the presence of the Lord? Because he can't be Lord of your life that you're just doing everything that you want to do. And then when you're really in trouble, you're asking him for help. That's not Jesus is Lord. Okay. It's not Jesus is Lord that the only time you talk to God is when you're telling him what you need him to do. I told you this is a great message, right? 
But see, that's, that's the challenge that we deal with. You say, well, that, that bugs me. Good, good. Oh, man, I'm so glad. That was my prayer is it would really bother you today. Because, because look, we won't change unless we get bothered first. We got to get bothered. E.M. Bounds made this statement. You know, he's a great writer about prayer. He said, the mightiest people in God's kingdom are those who believe prayer is their most important business. Prayer is your life, not a lifestyle choice. Now, I, I plug my life into the Lord. He didn't just fill my religious hole in my life so that I, you know, I got salvation and I'm going to heaven. He wants me to plug my whole life into him so that he can consume every part of my life, my marriage, my family, my, my finances, my health, every part of me that he can be a part of. For that to happen, I've got to spend more time in prayer. Some of you have taken my challenge and are doing it. Uh, I'm still doing it. I hope, some of, I hope you that have told me you're doing it are still doing it. If not, get back on track, but praying in the Spirit 15 minutes every morning. At least the first thing, just stop and pray 15 minutes. Now, some mornings, you know, I have to combine things because I got a it gets a little crazy at times, but most of the time, what I do is I just sit down 15 minutes, pray in the Holy Spirit, and I don't do anything else. I don't look at anything else. In fact, I usually just sit in the dark and pray in the Spirit, and uh, I have found that to be an incredible spiritual growth for my life, just spending that. And most of the time, it turns into 30 to 45 minutes of praying in the Spirit. And I find how I start my day is how I'll finish my day, so my day will be filled with being praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, because I have started my day that way. Now, that's just the beginning, but, uh, when I, but, but, but my prayer life is along this line where I come before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I just come before you today and declare that you're my Lord. You're my master over my life. Lord, my, I'm not going to make the decisions today. You'll lead me and guide me in the decisions. You'll bring the right people into my life. You'll create the right opportunities into my life, Lord God. You'll bring people across my path that you want me to minister to today. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. Number two, I got to move on. The next thing that we make a declaration is I will have no anxiety. I'm not going to have anxiety this year. No anxiety. No anxiety. First Peter 5, 7 says this, Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be anxious, according to the Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, when you pray, it will always bring peace. It will bring peace. You pray until you get to a place of peace in your life, that you know that, look, this is taken care of. It's in God's hands. I've let this go. I'm not carrying the weight of this anymore. I'm not going to worry about it. Remember that care and worry destroy faith. They've, and they destroy fruitfulness. Excuse me. What did Jesus tell us in the book of Mark? In chapter 4, he said that there are, he said the, the thorns are the care or the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. But the first thing he mentioned was the cares of this world because it's worry that will get in there and rob your faith. It'll rob your faith. And so what you and I do is we, if we're spending that time in prayer before the Lord and making it our lives instead of just a thing that we do, then what happens is we begin to break fearfulness off of our lives. 
I was just going to make a point too about, uh, about prayer, how important it is, that when we pray, I have never met anyone who prays and is backsliding, ever. People that don't pray backslide all the time. And you say, well, what is backsliding? Does that mean I turned away from God? Not necessarily. But if your faith was at this level, and now it's at this level, you're going the wrong direction, friend. Your faith should be moving beyond where it was at. So you can define backsliding however you want, you know, that that's a Christian that's not serving the Lord. But I look at it that, look, if you were serving God, you were involved in ministry, you were on fire for God, and you're not on fire for God, serving God and involved in ministry, then what in the world is going on in your spiritual life? Hallelujah. Number three, no sickness or disease. No sickness or disease. Luke 13, 11, or excuse me, let's skip to, ahead to, uh, to Matthew 8, 17. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. One translation of this says he himself took our sicknesses and carried away our diseases. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, who forgives all my iniquities and heals all my diseases. And those are not spiritual diseases. Sin is not a spiritual disease. Sin is death. There's no disease to it. But diseases of our bodies, things that we would deal with in this world, he heals all of those diseases. And that needs to be our declaration in our lives because what happens when we make that our declaration then what we're saying over ourselves is is that I refuse sickness and disease in my life I refuse it and I I you can bring that other verse up the first one there I wanted you to see this in Luke 13 11 it says and behold there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no way raise herself up That word, spirit of infirmity, is an actual evil spirit. Infirmity isn't just a sickness. Infirmity is whatever is weakening you. If you look up the word infirmity in the actual actual Greek language, it's the Greek word asthenia, and it means to weaken. And here's what happens. When the enemy can weaken you, disease can come in. It opens the door for sickness and disease through the weakness, because your body is fearfully and wonderfully made. God did not make you to be diseased and sick. Can you say amen? So what we have to do is we have to build up within ourselves strength, and if we're tired and we're worn out or we're mentally anguished, you know, infirmity isn't just that weakness, isn't just a physical thing. It can be a mental thing as well, that my mind is just constantly running through exercises of What could go wrong? What could happen? And so I'm weakened. I'm in a weakened state. I'm vulnerable now to whatever's going on around me. Deanie talked about no offense. When you are in a weakened state, you are vulnerable to offense. And the enemy knows that. Because when you're tired, you're not the nicest person. So what we have to do is realize that, look, this is a spiritual attack and I need to make a declaration. I make a division in my life that that is not going, spirit of infirmity has no right in the name of Jesus over my body, 
over my body. I am not letting that continue to work in my life. This woman was bound with this for 18 years, and Jesus literally cast the devil out of this woman because the spirit had gotten a control of her life. Look, I'm, I'm, you, are you saying, Pastor, because I got a cold, I got a demon? That isn't what I said, all right? The spirit, I didn't say that. I'm saying that this spirit can work on your life constantly, one thing after another, until eventually you're in a weakened state, you can't sleep, you can't rest, you can't give, build your faith, and now what's going on in your life? You're vulnerable to whatever's going on around you. Hallelujah. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And that is not, look, don't ever let anybody tell you that's spiritual healing. That is not, you do not need healed spiritually. You're dead in your sins. You need resurrected, not healed. Amen. Healing is for the physical body, for your mental. Everything he talked about there, he talked about wounded for transgressions, bruised for iniquities. That he paid the price. The chastisement of our peace was on him. That's our mind. And by his stripes we were healed. 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So look at it. Past tense, already taken care of, already done, Everything that needed to be done, get this right in your spirit, everything that needed to be taken care of for your healing has already been taken care of. The only thing that's lacking is that we build our faith and make the declaration or the division to split this in half and say, God, walk in the midst of my health. And you know, when God walks in the midst of our health, he may tell us to make changes. I think one of the cool things with fasting that happens, especially depending on what you fast, you find out how addicted to stuff you are. Oh, I'm going to give up sugar. I'm telling you right now, you're going to have, your mind is going to be thinking about cookies, right? Candy, cookies. Oh, I'm going to back off on coffee. You're going to get a headache. We talk about that in our paper that we gave out to you. You know, how, how, you know, there are people just can't make it without caffeine anymore. I got to have, I can't make it. I can't function. I can't. Look, that's addiction, friend. That's addiction. You don't want to be addicted to anything except Jesus. Amen. I got to have bread. Oh, I got to eat bread, man. I'm just, give stuff up. Watch, watch your body, how your mind, your body, what does it do immediately? And then the TV helps, right? You say, well, I'm going to give up, you know, I'm going to give up, uh, I'm going to give up all sugar, and then the next thing you're going to see like a Betty Crocker commercial with a big old chocolate cake or something like that, or a Trace Leches or whatever, you know, it's going to be something awesome. Or you're going to go to people's houses and they're going to have made it and say, hey, would you like us some of this? I would love some of that, but no, thank you. So by whose stripes? The, it's not just about experiencing the miracle physically in your body but it's about changing your life it's about changing your life uh proven fact i won't spend a lot of time on this proven fact though that people that have massive heart attacks and go get heart surgery do not change their lives after they have heart surgery 
even though they're told you got to make a change in your life. They don't make any changes. It just is part of what, it's part of our nature. We want to be in charge. That's what takes us right back to Jesus is Lord, right? We think we know better. We don't know better. We don't know better. You got to do the right thing. So we make this declaration in our health and our bodies. There's a lot we can prevent by just taking better care of ourselves and listening to the Holy Spirit. Listening to the Holy Spirit. All right, number four. No financial lack. No financial lack. This is another declaration that we make. According to Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. He adds no sorrow with it. And let me tell you what this does in our lives. It breaks poverty. And, and, and it breaks poverty. And, and poverty is not what you have. Poverty is how you think. Always remember this. Poverty isn't about not having stuff. Poverty is how you think about things. So if you live fearful that you won't ever have enough, that's poverty. Because either God's going to provide or he's not going to provide But if you're living fearful of that God's not going to provide and you think you have to somehow make everything happen, then that's a poverty mentality and that can happen with people with wealth. Because what poverty looks like really in the wealthy is greed. Because they're only about themselves, they're only about keeping as much as they can, they're about, you know, who's got the most stuff, who looks best. That's all poverty. Look, we all think, wow, that's really cool. It's not cool because it's a poverty mentality. It's a mindset that says that I never have enough. I'll never, you can't ever be content. You can't ever feel secure. You know, we're hearing all kinds of stuff about, you know, they're going to do this to Social Security and they're going to raise the age to 70 and they're going to do this and this and they're going to change all this and this is all going to collapse and we're so far in debt as a nation. Uh, none of that would, uh, ab- would surprise me at all. So here's the thing. What do we got to do? What, how do I deal with that? If I'm all of a sudden becoming fearful of how I'm going to make it, I have a poverty thinking, a mindset. I've got to break that by realizing my God supplies all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So how did, look, he can use the government to do that or he can create other opportunities for me to be able to do that. He can give me witty invent. I mean, look, don't limit how God can take care of you and how he can provide for you. And so when we, when, we, when we break this poverty in our lives, the only way to break that is that mindset, and especially those of you that grew up like I did with lack. You just always lived your whole life with lack. I mean, you never had enough food. In the, we never had food in the cupboard when I was a kid. I mean, you, we would have ate all of it. If, it was, if there was anything there, we would have ate. See, that's poverty. That's what poverty does to you. It makes you fearful. So what we, gotta, what we have to do in our lives is to begin to declare, make a division and say, God, walk in the midst of my need. Walk in the midst of my need. You already know. There are times, Sharon and I, we have a lot. And there are times that we don't have hardly anything. But the thing is, is that Paul talked about this. He said, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether I have a lot or I don't have a lot, Look, I'm good. Why could he be content? Because my God supplies all my need according to his riches and glory. God knows what I need, and so that's who I'm trusting to take care of all of this. Amen? 
No financial lack. Number five of the confess, the big five. Jesus Christ is my wisdom. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctification. And he is my redemption. This is according to 1 Corinthians 1.30. It says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And when I do this, when I... When I make this declaration, there are a couple things I walk through with this. So there are other verses, and I didn't put them up here. But uh, the audio will be up online or the video, and you can catch up with this. So Colossians tells us that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 1.27 says that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. James chapter 1 tells us, that if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, that God will give me the wisdom that I need and he will not withhold it. He gives it freely to me. I need wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is clarity. Wisdom is clarity. That's all it is. If you study the word Sophia in the, in the Greek language, it means clarity, to be able to see clearly, to be able to understand clearly. So if you're looking at a circumstance right now and you're going, I don't know what to do. It doesn't look clear. What you're saying is, God, I need your wisdom. You will help me see clearly. And look, I promise, if that's where you're making your confession, you will see clearly in the midst of that. Number two, that he is my righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I am made righteous because of what Jesus did for me, not because of myself, but because of him. I am made righteous. I'm in right standing. You say, why is that important? James chapter 5 tells us that the prayers of a righteous man avail much. They accomplish much. They, they, they get things. Prayers of righteous people get things done. People in right standing with God get things done spiritually. So I'm righteous, so therefore my prayers are effective, powerful, accomplishing much, fulfilling the things that I'm, I'm, I'm believing for. And so are yours if you begin to declare Lord, walk in the midst of my righteousness. Walk in the midst of my righteousness. The third part of that, that he is my sanctification. Why is that important? Because Christ, the Bible says that he has sanctified us through his word. He has sanctified us through his word. He told in John 17, he said, Father, sanctify them through thy word. And he has sanctified you and I by his word. Sanctification means we are made holy. We are made holy. Now, we should live holy lives. But as far as God is concerned in your life, he has declared you holy through Jesus Christ. Okay? Just like he has declared his love for you, he's declared, don't let your past sins stand in the way of your future victories. Don't let it. Because, see, that's the enemy trying to rob you of your sanctified life that you've been given by God. And he'll bring up those sins. Well, yeah, yeah, but look what you did yesterday. Look what you said. Look what you did this morning. Look, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't read your Bible this morning. You didn't pray. You didn't do the 15 minutes. that passed. You didn't fast today. You didn't go to the Wednesday night prayer meeting. You didn't. Look, none of that matters. Because the truth is, as far as God is concerned, he has declared you holy. And it's your adversary, the accuser, who's been kicked out of heaven and no longer can accuse you before the throne. But he's, before, he used to accuse mankind all the time. Now he's just in earth accusing you. 
You're just not good enough. You just don't pray enough. You're just not spiritual enough. You don't do this. You don't do that. That's the accuser of the brethren. That's the devil. And what he tries to do is he's trying to undermine you because you cannot, look, sin cannot stand in the presence of God and you don't have sin, but if you act like you have sin, you won't go into the presence of God. You'll stay away. You'll be like Adam and Eve. You'll be hiding in the bushes. Well, when I get my life right, then I'll be able to pray, right? When I get my life right, no, no. Jesus has sanctified you. He has sanctified you. And the last one there, that he has redeemed you. He has brought redemption to your life. Amen? He's brought redemption. What does that mean? Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And then he goes on and says that the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The curse is broken off your life. Amen? The curse is broken off your life. God has, look, Jesus has redeemed you. He, everything that needed to be paid for, for you to live in absolute victory, absolute fullness of the Spirit, absolute power of faith, everything that you need already, Jesus has redeemed you he's already paid the price so that you could have it you could never have paid the, uh, the you could never have prayed enough to 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 have what he's given to you you could never pray enough to pay that it's because he's already paid the price that you can pray the way that you can that you can live the way that you can can you say amen hallelujah thank you father so five confessions the big five jesus is lord cast my care No sickness and disease, no lack, no poverty. And the last one, he's my wisdom, my righteousness, my sanctification, and my redemption. And I know this is a very simple message, but it has changed my life. This is a practice that I do. When I go into prayer, this is where I begin in my prayer time. I start talking to the Lord about your, his lordship in my life. And you know, if, the Lord, if, if I get into a place that the Lord says, yeah, but you know, you've been doing some other things that, you know, you've gotten too involved in this or that. Then I say, Lord, I repent right now before you. I, I turn away from that and I turn to you. It's not a big deal. It's just getting, it's just a tweak, right? It's just a little bit of a, it's just a little bit of a tweak that needs to happen to make things work right. A great story that's told about this, this company, their machine broke down. And I mean, it was a multi-million dollar machine. And uh, so all the factory work had completely stopped, and they did everything that they could to try to get that machine to work right, and they could not get it to work right, so they called an expert. And the expert came in, he walked over, and they said, well, how much will it cost us to have that fixed on the machine? And he said, $50,000. They said, well, we got to have this running, so go ahead. He walked over to the machine, took out a screwdriver, turned one screw, and the machine started up. He said, that'll be $50,000. They said, but... But all you did was all you did was turn one screw, and you're still going to charge us the same amount? He said, you're not paying me for turning the screw. You're paying me because I know what screw to turn. When we go to God, he knows what screws to turn. And if things aren't working right, then look, we, we pay homage to him and say, Lord, I, I, I'm, you keep turning those screws, and you know what ends up happening, Right? It gets worse and it gets worse. So, I'm, Lord, whatever you lead me, whatever you guide me to do, 
this year is going to be an incredibly, I, have a, I believe this, by the end of this year, there are going to be people that just like their spiritual life skyrocket, just take off. But unfortunately, there are going to be those who never leave the launch pad. I always grieve for that. Pray it doesn't happen, but I just think that the people at the end of the year, they'll be dealing with the same thing they dealt with at the beginning of this year. I've made a determination in my life, I hope you have too, that I'm going to ask God to walk in the middle. I'm going to make a decree. I'm going to split the, the sea of life and just say, Lord, walk in the midst of this. Breathe, O oh God. Let your life walk in the midst of my whatever's going on, God, so that, I, that I'm able, I want, to get, I want to live in the victory you've already declared for my life. Amen? Why don't you stand up with me if you would. I, I want our prayer team to come this morning if you would. And, uh, and if you guys would stand here at the altar with me. And uh, the one thing I really wanted to pray for this morning, I felt really strong about, if you're feeling that spirit of infirmity, that weakness, just that, you know, sleep isn't going to fix that. I know we think that, well, if I just sleep more, I'll be okay. That's not where it's coming from. It's coming from something else that's trying to work against you. And I believe in people just praying and taking authority over this stuff and releasing the strength of the Lord. But there is supernatural power and available to us, but we are the ones that have to say, I need help with this. And as long as we try to fix it ourselves, we're just going to keep getting weaker and weaker until we finally just say, Lord, I'm going to do what it takes to do to break this spirit in my life. That woman, fortunately, she came to Jesus. She knew she couldn't, nobody could fix what she was going through. I need to be free from this aggravation that's working against me. So, if you're, if you're struggling with that weakness, that mental weakness, fatigue, physical weakness, you're battling with, um, uh, what do they call that? The thing that people get that they're tired all the time. Uh, not insomnia. Um, uh, it's a fatigue. Um, you know the name of it. Uh, no, not mono. <laughs> they just get tired, okay? Yeah, immune, immune disorder. What do they call it? Immune disorder, autoimmune disorder, right? So that's definitely a part of that. The other thing I I, I want to do before we pray here is um, Stevie and Natalia are moving into a house this week. Praise the Lord, God opened up doors supernaturally. He's one of our ministers on staff, and I really felt like I just put this out there. If you want to be a blessing to them to help you, you know, there's all kinds of things with buying a new, moving into a new house. Um, I think it was like. It's a 100-year-old home, isn't it? But it's a nice place, a nice farmhouse for his family to grow in. And uh, if you want to be a blessing to them, just to, to say, hey, man, I just want to be, a, you can give to them directly to be a blessing to them. Sharon and I are going to do that this morning. And uh, I just really felt, you know, for our ministers, we should do something for them when they have needs like that. And uh, this is a way, I know when we moved into our house in Breckenridge back some 40 years ago, that the people in this church actually gave money to help us be able to make the down payment, which was we couldn't have moved in without the help. And uh, so it was a huge blessing. And then Mark loaned us the rest of the money, and uh, we paid it back to him. But, you know, it's just the, one of those things that somebody had to help us to be able to do it. So I think it's important for us to do that. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Did you get anything out of this message today? Praise the Lord. Chuck? Glory.